You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! And we are back with episode 15 of Fly on the Call, Candid Conversations on Music. This is one of the guests that I've been most excited about so far, and that is because today I'm talking to Matt Brash about his project Cold Climate. You may be more likely to know Matt from his work in The Wonder Years, who just announced a second volume of Burst and Decay, acoustic reimaginings of fan-favorite songs, but this other music is certainly worth just as much of your time. Cold Climate started as a solo project for Matt, but quickly evolved into a much more collaborative band. In addition to providing vocals and guitar, Matt has engineered and produced both of the band's EPs, Fade and In Decline. In Decline came out last month and is four tracks of ripping guitar backed up by vocal melodies that quickly burrow their way into your head. So please enjoy this conversation. What have you been listening to lately? I listened to the uh, Morgan After podcast that you did earlier this year, and oh, I, che- cool. I, ch- I checked out the Dirty Nil today, and I, I dug it a lot for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just like super raw rock and roll, which I really dig. Uh, but I've been listening to a lot of different kind of things. I'm into a bunch of different kind of music, mainly rock based. But um, I really dig Charlie Bliss. They came out with a new record this year that I love. Um, uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of like Citizen and and death cab for cutie and um alkaline trio i'm trying to think of, like other stuff i've been listening to more recently the new bayside record's really good i just saw oh, them yeah. friday and like they're fantastic live for sure yeah they're definitely one of the they're like a very consistent live band too i feel like <laughs> oh 100 and i also saw uh jimmy eat world on saturday i'm I don't know. You'd think I'd be sick of going to shows after playing so many, <laughs> but uh, I still love going to shows. And the new Jimmy World record is also phenomenal. So Awesome. Yeah, and uh, Pronoun was opening for them, right? Yeah, also great band. Brad. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I'm super stoked for the tours that, the tour that you guys just announced. I'm actually... Uh, that's going to be the first tour I ever see multiple dates of. I'm hitting up one of the mass dates and the Connecticut date. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been loving Spanish love songs since I found Schmaltz last year. So <laughs> that oh, was yeah. an added Fantastic. bonus for sure. <laughs> oh, 100%. We're really excited for the lineup of that. Um, and just excited to do two sets every night. It's going to be a lot, you know. It's going to just be <laughs> a lot of music, but um, we like switching it up. You know, it's fun to play the loud stuff, but it's also cool to change it up. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, getting on to, like, cold climate stuff. Um, like I said, I'm... I usually stick away from uh, asking about band names because I feel like it's kind of so cliche and overdone. But uh, I was curious if uh, 
cold climate is supposed to sound like cold climate. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely is. So the backstory behind that is we had a really hard time picking a name just because like, I don't know, it's always weird to try to figure out what your band should be called. And um, every practice we like throw names out there and nobody was happy with them. And eventually we finally stumbled on cold climate as in like cold weather, cold climate. And, um, you know, we're just thinking to ourselves, somebody else already has to have that band name. Like I did a light Google search and couldn't find anything, but I was like, someone's definitely going to have this name. We're going to have an issue down the line where we have to change our band name or somebody's going to try and sue us. So the easy solution was to keep the same sound of the name, but just change the spelling. So it's kind of silly, but that's what we did. Nobody's going to have that name because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think I even really realized it until like really recently that it was kind of like that play on words a little bit or like homonym. <laughs> yeah. And it's always funny, like to tell someone what your band name is. They like ask you like, it's cold climate, but I have to like spell it out. So that's kind of an <laughs> annoying thing I got to do now, but you know. Yeah, I guess, worse. I guess before that, I was kind of like just picturing like climbing a mountain, like cold climate, like Mount Everest, climbing up Mount Everest in the cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can take whatever you want away from it. That's the thing I love about lyrics and like band names and stuff like that that are silly. Like, it's always cool to see what the uh, listener thinks, even if it's not the same exact thing that you originally intended to write, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um and I, th- I think part of this question might have been answered, like I said, when I listened to the Morgan After podcast. Um, but I remember you like posting like years ago about having um, like a bunch of solo demos that you might release one day. Um, and I-, I was curious if like any of those um, kind of were the seeds of some of the cold climate stuff. Yeah, definitely. So the first EP we put out uh, was named Fade. And um that was basically just like an amalgamation of some demos that I had. Um, the demos didn't really change too much. Basically what happened was, um, well, I don't know. I'll get into the, the full backstory. So the full backstory was cold climate was supposed to be a solo project. And um, I was going to record all the songs full band, but I was going to play them just acoustic live and just do the whole singer songwriter thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a couple of shows opening up for Aaron West on the West Coast. We had a couple of days off from a Wonder Years tour, so we decided to fill those dates. And um, I just got so stressed out by it. I didn't really like being up there performing solo and having to like entertain and talk in between songs. And it just seemed like more stressful than I wanted it to be. So I was like, you know what? I still love writing music and I love these songs. Maybe I should just put a band together. And that seemed like the more obvious choice than just not doing it. So directly after that tour, I called up a few of my buddies and um, basically got them to join the band. Uh, I sent them demos that I'd been working on. They dug them. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, I called Chris and John and they immediately were like, yeah, let's do it. And then uh, Eric was kind of the wild card. I didn't really know him personally as well as the other guys. But, um, you know, over time, I I met him through going to shows and whatnot. And we became friends. and. you know, I was blown away by his playing. So I asked him to join. And then uh, we got together and sent them the songs. They learned them. We had a couple practices and then we started recording. And that's Fade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so were those like more recent demos uh, that you had been working on specifically, like heading into the cold climate stuff? No, they were like things I was sitting on for a while. And that's the one thing that's kind of a bummer about them. Um, I don't like hate the songs or anything like that, but I've 
moved so far past them now. They were like songs that I had already had for a couple of years before we even recorded the EP. Mm-hmm. And then when it came out, those songs were like, you know, two, three years old. So I wrote them kind of when I was in like a, a darker place and like I didn't necessarily feel the same way um, lyrically, you know, that I do now. So it's always kind of weird singing those songs. But. So, so how does that compare to um, the In Decline stuff um, now that that's, I'm guessing, like more recently written? Yeah, for sure. So those songs um, were written in a whole different fashion. So after Fade came out, we kind of found out what we were as a band and what we wanted to do. And um, we decided that the next EP we'd write, we'd write together as a team because that just, you know, is the thing that bands should do. In my eyes, it shouldn't just necessarily be one guy, especially when you have capable players and songwriters and the guys I play with are absolutely amazing musicians. So it seems silly not to put their like unique styles and um, takes and opinions on the songs. So basically wrote the next EP together and, um, you know, like I said, so on the, the indic or the, uh, the fade EP, some of those songs I couldn't really relate to as much uh, lyrically. So on this new EP, I wanted to write songs that uh, were more in the vein of what I wanted to be talking about. The fade songs are kind of hard to play live just because of the lyrical content. You know, it's hard, like, you know, thinking about just all those uh, things in my brain every night when I play them. So mm-hmm. kind of wanted to move out of that direction a little bit. For sure. So, so you find it like kind of easier to perform when you're in the more, you're in a more similar headspace, like to the music that you're performing? I think so. Um, it doesn't always necessarily need to be that way, but it's just specifically with the songs on Fade, they're a little bit more um, somber and depressing. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't necessarily the message that I want to be constantly uh, sending across. You know, I want to play in a show. I want to have a good time. I don't want to almost be like a uh, a downer, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and you mentioned like the kind of like somber and like softer spoken nature of Fade. Um, and In Decline is definitely, I feel like it's kind of heavier. And I, this is maybe like a music writing meme word, but like angular in some ways. Um yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like what uh, about that change in sound and how it kind of like came to be? Yeah. So like I said, um, those songs were basically just an amalgamation of all our collective thoughts together. It wasn't just me writing the record. So uh, it was really cool to have input from John and Chris and uh, Eric about like what tones should be used or like how we should develop parts and transitions and um when you write together, there's just like this uh, really organic thing that happens where um, the songs just become their own beast. And it's not just, you know, like you said, one person writing. So they become their own thing um, built of a bunch of different people's ideas. And uh, I think that's kind of what happened with this record. It, it was a collaborative effort more than a, um, a solo endeavor. Yeah, that, that makes sense for sure. Um, and I know like, pretty much everyone in the band is kind of like a seasoned musician who's been in multiple other bands. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how like that collaborative writing process um, compares to that of um, like the Wonder Years and the other bands that you all have been in. It's pretty similar. Um, Fade was different just because I said that was a, um, a solo written thing. But with uh, In Decline, I mean, those songs kind of stemmed from, uh, I mean, every song's different, but each one would stem from like a guitar riff or a bass line or a drum part or a uh, vocal line. And we kind of build parts from those things. 
-hmm. And then those parts would kind of develop into um, structures of a whole song. And then with those structures, we would kind of work out the fine details from there. We kind of work on transitional pieces or um, just try to make things line up more with uh, vocal melodies or motifs that were happening in the song. Mm And then we would basically play these songs um, every practice and work on them and keep rewriting and rewriting until the songs felt like they were complete. And some songs, you know, it, it takes, you know, a couple practices and then they're done. And then there's other songs that take like, you know, a month or two of just like constantly coming back, coming back to because they don't feel finished. Mm-hmm. So with that process, we would kind of demo in between all those different stages so people could listen on their own time and think of ideas. And this is pretty much the same exact way that Wanderers writes songs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and I'm curious, like lyrically, how did it kind of end up coming together? Is it like more the lyrics inform the music or vice versa? Uh, I feel like all the songs on this record were written musically or instrumentally before they were written lyrically. I might've had some lyrics, but they didn't necessarily, um, you know, they weren't placed in the song yet. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, and with Cold Climate being, um, I guess for kind of like lack of a better word, like a side project, um, what is kind of like the mindset that you go into it um, when you like go to write or practice or like go to a play show and stuff? We try to keep everything pretty lighthearted for the most part. Like we all want to be good and we want to practice and try to better ourselves. But at the end of the day, everybody's so busy with other projects. Like I have my commitment in Wonder Years and um, the recording and production work that I do. (laughs) And then um, our guitar player, Eric, is in a bunch of bands. So he's busy doing that stuff. And then um, Chris has a family, has like a really serious career. And then John is going to grad school and is also a world-class athlete. He um, actually trains in dragon boat racing and won gold silver and bronze in the uh, 2019 world championship this year. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So he's a really serious athlete. So we all have these like different avenues that we're focusing on. So cold climate is just one of those things that we do on the side when we have time, we try to have practice every Monday, but if somebody's busy or has prior obligations, like we just skip practice. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll play shows when we get offers and it makes sense and lines up, but we're not really trying to do like a full U S tour or anything like that. We mainly just do, a weekend, you know, two, three times a year. For sure. Yeah. So, so it's like, you know, like a hobby that you strive for the best in, but you kind of like take it as it goes. Yeah. We kind of just try to like keep realistic expectations for it. And like, like I said, do our best with it, but at the same time, make sure that at the end of the day we're in it because it's fun and we enjoy doing it. We don't want it to get to a point where it's like, it feels like work, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially with, like you said, like you all having so many other projects and stuff that you're working on, it definitely makes sense to keep it um, lighter in that way. And you had mentioned your uh, like recording and producing work. um, And I know both of the EPs have been uh, self-produced. So I'm curious how that um, kind of like being involved in those multiple layers to such a extent, um, how that kind of affects the both the writing and the recording process for you. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know if this necessarily answers your question, but like for our first EP fade, it was kind of just when I first started getting back into recording, I used to do it a lot when I was younger and since Wonder Years was busy for, you know, a good decade, 
Uh, I didn't really have a whole lot of time to do it on the side. We were touring like nine months a year, eight months a year or whatever. So once that slowed down, I started doing the producing thing. I decided that Cold Climate was going to be the first project that I did just to get back into it and have fun with it. Um, so we did it for that reason and uh, the fact that it made sense financially since we were just kind of doing it as like a side fun thing. We didn't want to drop a bunch of money into it. For sure. <laughs> um, this way we could kind of just take our time, record whenever we wanted to, spend the time like, you know, getting a bunch of good takes and spend the time rewriting things in the studio. Uh, I have in quotes, but, um, you know, just, we didn't have to worry about conflicts with any, uh, studios or anything like that. We could kind of just do it at our own pace. Mm -hmm. And, um, we had such a good time doing it that way that we kind of just did the new EP the same way. And I feel like I've learned a lot doing a bunch of different projects in the meantime. So I think the production came out a lot better on the new one, but, but that's kind of how that came to fruition. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's interesting. That I didn't know it was like kind of your first uh, trip back into the studio as far as being behind the board. That, that's really cool that it was kind of you were able to work on something that you were so like intimately familiar with and able to like spend that time to get it exactly the way you wanted it to and um, to like, like I said, like get that back. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I had done a couple other projects in the past years, but they were mainly just like demos for Wonder Years or whatever. It wasn't anything serious, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to, take a step and try to just push myself to do it and learn, you know? For sure. Yeah. And um, I'm curious, like what have been some of the projects that you worked on between the two EPs that you feel like kind of like influenced the way you went into, in decline? Um, so I worked with a, um, a band from New York called Shakeout and um, they're a band that's doing like a decent amount of touring right now. And um, I met them through playing a show with them with cold climate and um we just got to talk and really enjoyed hanging out with the guys and we were talking about recording and I was like, I got a little studio, come do some tracks with me. We'll do it for like a reasonable price, whatever. And they agreed. So they came down from New York, recorded. Uh, I've done a couple of local bands in the area. There's this band called Merit that's from Lansdale. That's a uh, pop punk band <laughs> and great guys, um, great musicians. Um, it's kind of like an easy core kind of vibe, but they had a, a really fun sound to record. So that was cool. And then um, what else have I recorded? I recorded a band called Viewing Party not too long ago. They're also a band from the area uh, built from a bunch of musicians that were in bands that I loved growing up. You know what I mean? Oh, cool. Yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> so it was really cool just to have it come full circle, you know? For sure. And then, I, and then the other project I did um, around the same time that Fabe was made was a project called The End of Me Party which is um, another band full of uh, local musicians. Um, one of them being the keyboard player in the starting line named Brian Schmutz. Oh, cool, cool. Um, and uh, is th the way that you kind of like uh, approach those projects and like your recording as a whole, is that kind of um, similar to Cold Climate where it's like you kind of like strive to learn and get better and do the best, but kind of don't like overthink things? <laughs> Um, you know, I tend to think about things too much, which is not always great, but um, I, everything I do, I try to do to the best of my ability. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best thing ever, but I want to make sure that if I'm putting my name on something, then I've worked the hardest and known that I put everything I had into it at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Even if I, you know, I'll get better at things eventually, hopefully, but um I don't know. There's no point in putting things out that are half-assed. So I really try to learn a lot 
on the way and I try to spend time. And if that time means, you know, like I really want to get a part a certain way, then I won't charge the band for that time. And we'll just work on it and get it right because it's more important for me to um, gain that experience and knowledge mm-hmm. and um, have everything sound great than to necessarily make money doing it. I mean, the money I make doing it pretty much just goes back into it anyway. I don't like bank anything. It just goes into gear. So, Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's really like admirable kind of dedicating yourself to the craft in that way. And um, I mean, that's the only way to learn is to, you know, dive in. So. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, and I guess like kind of hitting on some of the specific songs in uh, the new EP, um, I feel like Can't Let Your Guard Down kind of deals with a lot of feelings of kind of like fear um, and anxiety. And I, I think the video for it um, kind of like addresses that in a cool, like more lighthearted way. But um, mm-hmm. the song itself seems pretty heavy. Um, I'm curious where those kind of uh, feelings, uh, what, what the root of them are for the song. Well, it's kind of an amalgamation of things. Um, but generally, the song's just, like you said, about fear, anxiety, and dealing with negativity. And, um, you know, out of a lot of things that it deals with, um, the most important ones that come to mind are, um, you know, a lot of the inspiration came from just watching the news and getting that feeling of dread after listening to, like, all the horrible things going on in the world, politically, socially, and environmentally. Um, sometimes that kind of stuff just makes me want to tune everything out and just like crawl up in a hole. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of the inspiration for the song. And then the other part is, um, you know, like the uh, everybody's a critic kind of culture that we have now with, you know, people on message boards and Facebook and Twitter. Everybody's always got like a uh, a thing to say about something and it makes putting art or music or, you know, whatever out into the world that much more scary. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just about dealing with um, critics and dealing with um, negative factors that have impacted me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I mean, you mentioned like the kind of uh, pressure it puts on as far as like putting music out into the world. Um, how does that kind of like affect uh, the way you like view and approach cold climate? Well, uh, at the end of the day, I just want my music or our music, I should say, I don't want to say my music, our music to be um, important to us and me. <laughs> I want it to express the things that I'm going through or the things that I feel are important. And if somebody can get behind that and it helps them out, then it means the world to me. But at the end of the day, if someone doesn't like what I have to say or doesn't agree, then, you know, that's also fine. Art's not for everybody. (laughs) So, um, I don't know. I I try to take it like that. It used to really bother me when we get, not necessarily us, but like if Wonder Years, we get like negative critiques or people would just shit on stuff immediately. (laughs) It would bum me out because you spend weeks, months, years working on these creative outlets. And then it takes 30 seconds for someone to put up a negative post to tear it down. So it used to really bother me, but now I kind of just move past it. I don't really read as much about um, my releases online anymore. I feel like it's it's healthier that way, for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the the people who value it are the ones who will take the time and kind of really dig in and understand what it's about rather than having that kind of like knee-jerk reaction. So it, it definitely makes sense to kind of 
disregard the other people. Yeah, and that whole um, culture and the way it's affected me, it's actually changed my idea of things too. Like whenever I post about things in a public forum or like on the internet, I try to keep my comments only to positive comment or comments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a general rule for myself. If I have something negative to say about something, I just try not to say it at all. Unless obviously, obviously it's like something that's affecting somebody um, in a hateful way or a personal attack or something like that, then I'll make a comment, but mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that's like people talk a lot about how like music writing has changed and like, you know, Oh, like it's all positive now and stuff. But I feel like, especially since there's like so much music out there, it's like, it makes sense. Like you, there's so much that you can find stuff that you like and boost that and then just kind of ignore the stuff that you don't like, or just be like, okay, it's not for me, but if it's for other people. That's cool too. <laughs> right. And even though it's not like you said, for you or for me or whatever, it takes, a lot of these artists, a lot of guts and a lot of um, time and effort just to put these things out. So for me, it almost feels counterproductive and crappy to just like shit on somebody's project, you know? For sure, for sure. Um, and, and then um, I feel like like the song Taking From The World kind of deals with um, a lot of feelings of uh, like inadequacy and um, kind of like feeling insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Um, but wanting to make a difference in the world. Um, I'm curious, what were some of the kind of things that you were like working through and thinking about while you were writing that one? Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, well, that, that song's interesting because I wrote it in two separate sessions or I wrote the lyrics in two separate sessions. So the first session was kind of when I was in like, you know, not a great mood. And I was just thinking about, you know, my late teen years and my early 20 years. 20s where I was like half-assing it and I spent like a lot of time going out and staying out late every night and drinking too much and getting high with my friends and like there's nothing wrong with those things but like I felt like I did those things too much instead of focusing my efforts into studying and helping others and being more serious about um trying to develop my career Mm -hmm. and uh it was kind of just like that back and forth um and then in the second writing session I was in a much better mood and a much better mindset. And that's when I wrote the bridge of the song. And, um, you know, basically just kind of decided that there is a point to life and there's a point to keeping positive and trying to spread that message. You know, like if you spread that message and that makes somebody else's day better or you help them out, hopefully they'll keep reciprocating the same thing and pushing it along. So, I don't know. I feel like negativity and positivity are both contagious. So, if you spread positivity, hopefully that will go far and overlook the negativity. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that, like the dichotomy in the song is kind of something that makes it really easy to like relate to in that way. And also, but like you said, it does have that overall positive vibe. Um, So, it is uplifting in that way too, for sure. And then I guess kind of rounding out the EP, I feel like um, Not Ready to Die and You're a Flame, um, are, they both feel like very similar songs to me um, and seem to be dealing with like unhealthy or kind of like destructive relationships. Um, I'm curious about like kind of the relationship between those two songs and just generally like how they came together. That's really interesting that you say that because those songs are about two complete different things. 
<laughs> but but that's what I said. I love it when people interpret lyrics um, just because it, it it's really interesting to see the different mindsets. Um, but yeah, they're just written about different things. So I'm Not Ready to Die is kind of a song about um, my near-death experiences in life, or at least ones that I perceive to be near-death experiences. <laughs> and uh, it's also kind of a metaphor for the uh, the misses and the failures I've had in my life that kind of haunt me. But the verses are um, kind of about those uh, thoughts that keep me up at night and the nightmares that uh, wake me. And then the choruses are about the specific um, near-death experiences. Like the first verse um, reads, we slip on ice and we collide, scattering fragments of plastic with glass caught in our eyes. I'm not ready to die. And that's about two different car crash experiences I've had where... uh, one was when I slipped on black ice and my car spun out. Luckily, I didn't crash or hit anybody. Uh, that was a miracle. But the other one was when I was on a I-95 with the Wonder Years on a tour. And uh, a turkey vulture had jumped in front of our windshield while I was driving. Oh, gosh. And it shattered the entire windshield. And uh, I had glass in my eyes. I couldn't see a thing. And I'm going 65 and uh, just terrified because I'm blind trying to get off the road without killing the rest of my band. And uh, luckily, Nick was sitting co-pilot, so he was my eyes and got me off the road safely. But that's kind of what that verse is about, or that chorus, rather. And then the second chorus is about um, just being in a plane and going through terrible turbulence and having the plane, you know, ascend and descend rapidly and just being scared to death. (laughs) So that's kind of what that song is about. And then uh, You're a Flame is kind of more about what you were saying about having a uh, destructive relationship. And it's not necessarily about one person in specific, but um, it's kind of about having a friend or like an acquaintance who, uh, acquaintance, I cannot talk today, um, <laughs> who makes terrible decisions and burdens all the bridges that cross. Um, it's kind of just about dealing with this for like a long period of time and realizing this person might be unhealthy for you to be around. And though it's hard, sometimes you got to let people go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one actually kind of reminded me a little bit of um, off of Sister Cities, uh, It Must Get Lonely. I feel like those kind of also had a, a similar vibe to them. I could see that for sure. <laughs> um, and that's funny. Uh, well, not funny, but like the story about uh, the turkey vulture kind of reminds me of uh, a couple of years ago. Um, me and my girlfriend were driving home. Actually, I think it was from an Aaron West concert, actually. But um, Oh, wow. And... I was actually at a kidney stone and I was like asleep in the passenger seat and we were on, uh, I think it was on 95 also. We, so we hit a deer at highway speeds. I woke up to it body slamming the windshield and like, I feel like that would have definitely affected me a lot more if I hadn't been asleep and if she hadn't handled it like as well as she did. Cause she like, you know, got right off the highway, stayed super calm. Like when I woke up being like, Oh my God, what happened? Yeah. That's terrifying. That's so terrifying. I remember when, uh, when we hit that Turkey vulture, it was like the same kind of deal, except I was like freaking out. You know what I mean? Luckily I had Nick beside me who was like level headed and kept it all together for me. But that, yeah, it's always terrifying, especially when you're going like, 65 70 miles an hour yeah for sure and uh, just out of curiosity what was like the time frame of that in in the band's career um i can't remember exactly what tour it was i know fireworks was on the tour because they 
came and saved us. They came and picked up a few of us and then um, got us to the show. And then a couple other guys took the van to get the window replaced. But um, I'm trying to think of when that would be. I think it was, uh, yeah, I want to say it was probably around like 2013 or 14, something like that. Right now. No, that would have been after Gritson. Yeah, I think it was maybe 2012 now that I'm thinking about it. But I remember the, that day we played at um, the Talent Farm in Pembroke Pines, Florida. That's the only thing I really remember from it. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and I am a huge nerd for like side projects. I feel like they're so interesting, kind of just the way they develop and the, the differences between um, you know, like the, the main projects and, um, and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm also a big fan of like the premiere being like a kind of pre wonder years project. Um, and I was curious if you have any kind of specific memories or anything that kind of like stand out to you like years later about, um, that band. Yeah. I, I loved being in that band. Um, yeah, it was very, or very, uh, wonder years driven. Basically it was Nick soupy and I, and then also our friend Dave and, uh, yeah, we just had a really good time doing that band and I played drums in that, which is my first instrument and I, I miss playing, but I think that was like my favorite thing about that band. I got to uh, exercise my uh, skills on the drums rather than guitar, which I know nothing about. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was my first experience to really getting like a taste of the touring life and um, just kind of figuring out how to be a real band. So we never really gained a bunch of steam, but we did a couple tours and learned how to book gigs and learned how to um, be self-reliant. Like we recorded our own music. Uh, Nick did a bunch of that. I'm trying to think of like other things. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think the most important thing was just like figuring out how to be a band and really getting a taste for it and realizing that this is what I want to do for a career. Mm-hmm. I remember we, uh, told our parents we were going to go on tour and do this and they were all just like terrified they were just like (laughs) really you want to like do this instead of going to school and I was like no I promise I'll go to college I'll figure it out but I think in their eyes they thought we'd kind of bail you know Mm -hmm. but but it all kind of worked out in a weird way where um though the band didn't work out we all got our degrees and then uh wonder years did work out so it was a good timing thing Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and you, you mentioned um drums being like your primary initial instrument how did the kind of transition from that to guitar happen um i mean i play guitar a little bit but i i've never been a great player um i don't know anything like um theory wise um i mean i I guess i do just from like learning over time but i don't really know a lot of names of things i kind of learn (laughs) by uh ear so if i hear something i can figure out how to play it but if you gave me sheet music, I wouldn't be able to do anything with that. Um, but I don't know. It was just something that I picked up. I had played drums and jammed with a bunch of friends. And when we would jam, I'd pick up their guitars and just be like, yo, teach me a couple chords or this and that. And then I kind of grew an interest for it. So I ended up buying a cheap guitar and like a practice amp and then just kind of went from there. And then when the wonder year started, um, the original guitar player that was supposed to be in the band couldn't make it to practice. So <laughs> the guys asked me if I could play and I'm like, I'm not very good, but you know, I can figure it out. I'll be there. And then I just stuck around. That's funny. I, I listened to um, 
Shane told from Silverstein's podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome. Yeah, I love his podcast. And they're always talking about how um, a lot of the lead singers were guitarists and ended up just being the only ones who could carry a tune. So it's funny that kind of parallel between you being like the drummer switched into the guitarist. Yeah, like I was classically trained drummer, like did all the lessons. I was part of all the ensembles in high school, did district band, did jazz band, did all that stuff. And then fell into playing guitar and it ended up being my career, which I always find is super funny to me, (laughs) but it's nice because I get to do a lot more as far as the melodic creation of songs instead of just the rhythmic creation. For sure. Yeah. And this is a very specific question. (laughs) Um, I'm curious how the um, drum part from the bridge in Humphrey Bogart doesn't have shit on me um, ended up being used as the intro for I just want to sell at my funeral. You know what? I never pieced that. Or if that, that was intentional. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was intentional. I'm going to have to, I haven't listened to that song in a while, but um, I'm definitely going to have to go back and do some reconnaissance. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's literally like almost exactly the same. <laughs> like, like when I noticed it, it was after I had, you know, been very familiar with, I just want to sell my funeral and I had just like randomly gone back to the premiere. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds so familiar. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> like so crazy. <laughs> Wow, I don't know if that was intentional by Kennedy or not, or if it was just like, I don't know. I mean, there's only so many drum beats you can play, right? <laughs> For sure. I don't know. But I'm going to have to go back and listen as soon as we get off this phone call, because that's amazing. <laughs> Rad. I'm, I'm glad I was able to pick up on that. This week's mid-show shout-out goes out to The Gray Estates, your favorite purple music blog. Lauren and her team have been in the business of promoting the best darn bands in the indie DIY realm since 2013, and have some of the coolest features around. Need recipes? Makeup tips? Playlists to represent your favorite cartoon characters? The Grey Estates has it all coming at you from your favorite bands, along with a wonderful selection of interviews, reviews, and premieres. Whether you're looking for some new tunes or a new site to follow, go ahead and give The Grey Estates a try. I always like to end the interviews by asking either just for um, kind of like a piece of advice or like an observation or kind of philosophy that you've had recently, um, either about like music or life in general that you would just like to share. I think something like a piece of advice that's always kind of worked for me is just have a have manageable expectations for things and create goals for yourself that are obtainable. (laughs) So, um, for me, it's all about making small goals. And once I hit those goals, um, developing new ones and just keep moving forward with all those goals. Um, I find it so much easier and so much more productive to do it that way than to have these like grandiose plans and then never have them come to fruition and feel like they're a failure. Mm-hmm. Plus, sometimes if you make the smaller goals and you meet those, um, once you get there, your plans and goals kind of... Um, change a little bit you know what I mean and then you can kind of uh, micro analyze everything instead of just looking at only the big picture that speaks a lot to how I kind of like started this podcast like I was literally recording phone calls off of airpods and then you know I, I bought a mic and then I started like editing a little more in audacity and using zoom to record better and um, just like the really incremental changes that kind of like make it a lot easier for you to like look back and see kind of how far you've come yeah, and it's really cool because you make those small goals and then you end up learning all these skills you never thought you would before. Like even as simple as like, I'm not like a Photoshop guy, right? But 
sometimes you need a show flyer or sometimes you need a merch design and you don't want to pay someone to do it. So you just kind of figure out how to do it yourself. And then once you do that, you know, you're kind of just doing that all the time and it makes things so much easier. I mean, I know that's like a silly thing to say, but it's just like, I don't know, I was super proud of myself when I learned that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's nice to like kind of pick up those little things along the way and just kind of round out your your skills overall. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, awesome. Was there anything else that I kind of like haven't hit on yet that you wanted to get out about cold climate? Not really. I mean, we're just trying to do our thing and uh, have fun with it, like I said earlier. And uh, if we get offers to play shows, we'll play them if we can. But, you know, <laughs> in the meantime, we're just going to keep making music and doing things at our own pace. And there you have it. Episode 15 of Fly on the Call, and the second to last interview of the year. Tune in next week for another sweet new band that I'm stoked to feature. And I'll be posting a special little present of an episode on Christmas, featuring a bit of reflection on the podcast so far, and what's to come in 2020. Because how could I possibly miss a week? I'd also love to feature some audience feedback on that episode. So if you're interested, head on over to anchor.fm slash flyonthecallpod and leave a voice message. Or shoot an email over to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Let me know your favorite guest, favorite moments, how you found out about the podcast, what you like about it, what you'd like for me to improve on or change, what guests you'd like to hear next year, or whatever else comes into your mind. It'd be awesome to hear from you. And please don't forget to check out Cold Climate. In Decline has been on constant rotation for me, and even if we have to wait another couple years, I can't wait to see what they come out with next. It was a pleasure to chat with Matt, and I hope you'll be able to catch the Wonder Years on tour early next year, or keep your eyes peeled for a potential sprinkling of future cold climate shows. A special thank you, as always, to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Enjoy the cold climate while we still have it. Global warming, Joe. I'm sorry. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.